Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. What a great hope and truth as we dive into God's Word and this Easter celebration today. So glad to be worshiping with you all. And if we don't know each other, I'm Robbie Itterberg. I'm the other pastor, and it really is a joy to be here on this Easter morning where we remember that first Easter morning that actually you heard read earlier. It was that morning where Mary and Mary were told, go off to the tomb. They go off expecting to find the stone still over the tomb. They expect to find it sealed. They expect to go to grieve and to mourn, and yet they don't find what they expected at all. They found that an angel had rolled away the stone and that the tomb was empty, that Jesus had risen. And understandably, as we're told by Matthew, that that the guards who were supposed to guard the tomb, who were supposed to make sure that nobody stole Jesus' dead body, that they were terrified by the whole thing. But it wasn't just them. The, the women were terrified, so the angels said, don't be afraid. I think easier said than done in that case. But then the angels tell the, the women to go and go to Galilee. Go find the disciples. Go, that Jesus is risen. He's going to meet you there. Go meet him. And so the women, they run off, and on their way, they encounter Jesus, and once again, they're terrified. And so Jesus has to say, don't be afraid. And one of the things I think this tells us and shows us is that the resurrection of Jesus is intended to drive out the fears that we live with. That resurrection drives out fear. And yet, when we look at our lives, we can see that there is still fear present within us. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, there's still fear that lives within you. And so what do we do with that? Why is that? I think one of the reasons is that fear is really natural, that it's actually a God-given gift. It was hardwired into us. It helps keep, keep us from situations that are harmful, doesn't it? I grew up in Colorado, actually just into the mountains west of Denver, and every winter when the snow would come on the higher peaks, all sorts of animals would come down to lower ground looking for food. And so we would have herd of elk running through our neighborhood, through our backyard every day, and it was amazing because they were, they were beautiful and they're majestic animals, and it was awesome. And we had just next to us, we had um, these two lots that were empty. There were a few acres and about 100 yards maybe away from our back deck, there was this pile of rocks, these boulders. And I remember one time that actually a mountain lion decided to come and live in those rocks. And not only that, she, she took up residence, but then she also gave birth to cubs. And so how were we supposed to respond to our new neighbor? Should we have gone out with flowers and welcomed them to the neighborhood? You know, should I have gone out with the can of tuna fish and here, kitty, kitty, kitty? You know, no, that's ridiculous. We know that, that fear was the appropriate, healthy response to this mama mountain lion that would have been happy to maul me to protect her cubs. You know, so fear keeps us alive. But like every good gift that God has given us, it's been twisted, it's been broken. 
that everything, sin has entered the world and it broke everything. It broke our love, it broke our joy, it broke our peace, it broke the God-given gift of fear that was intended to keep us alive to the point that now fear is actually, for some of us, a controlling impulse. It's overwhelming. And actually fear is also being used against us all the time, isn't it? You think about it, advertisers have been using fear for years and years and years in order to get us to buy things that we know we don't really need, but we become terrified that we're going to somehow miss out on something great if we don't have it. And so we buy it. Politicians have been using fear for as long as there has been politics. And we see it certainly present in our day. You know, trying to get us to vote for them or to vote for their policies or, or maybe even more so these days to not vote for the other people and they're trying to get us to not vote based on being afraid of what they're going to do to us and those we care about. Just fear being pushed, this fear mongering that's constantly coming from the outside. But it's not just the outside, if we're honest. There's fear that also comes from within us. And that we use fear all the time to, to change our behavior, to motivate us, to manipulate our lives. I mean, you think about it, maybe you have a history in your family of high cholesterol, and maybe you're afraid you're going to have a heart attack. And so it's finally that fear that perhaps is going to motivate you to change, to cut back from the dozen donuts a day to a half a dozen to make those good changes in your life. Right? And it's not just that. There's all sorts of ways. The guilt and fear that we, we are, are, are all inside of us, we use that to try to pursue a better life, to make something change, to have something be different. And so how do we respond in our lives today and, and into the future as this message of fear is coming at us and also coming from within us? And I think that's at the heart of what Easter is about. And John, who was one of the writers of Jesus' Gospels, of his, of his biography, also wrote a letter to the church, to a church that was a divided church. I think was trying to speak into a situation not so unlike ours where there was fear and division. And so he gives us, I think, some insight into what are we supposed to do. And so we're going to read from 1 John chapter 4. And I invite you to follow along on the screen if you'd like. But listen for God's word speaking into our lives, into our fear today. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray as we move into God's word together. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of this Easter morning, this chance to gather together to worship you. Thank you for the gift that you promise in this passage of your Spirit to be within us as we put our trust in you. May your Spirit be here, opening not just our ears, but our minds, our hearts, our souls, that you can move and work in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our fears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how are we to respond to this avalanche of fear-inducing messages coming from outside and coming from within us? What did John tell us? Love, right? Not very subtle. I mean, actually, he uses the word love 21 times in these 13 verses. So, I mean, it's pretty clear that John agreed the Beatles are right. All you need is love. And, and actually, for some of us, we're like, yes, exactly. That's what I've been saying for a long time. We just need to love one another. If we would just love one another, then all of this division that we have, the political division, the class issues, the racial divides, it would all go away if we would just love one another. And on one hand, that's absolutely true. But what does John really mean when he says love, and what do we really mean? What's the nature of this love? What kind of love is it? And what, what really motivates and sustains this kind of love? And that's what I think John is getting at. And he kind of answers those questions at the very end, and then he builds this case. And so we're, I'm just going to give you the answer up front. He says that in verse 18, there is no fear in love. And so what he's getting at is that if we're motivated by fear, then it doesn't really actually matter what we're doing. It's not really loving because there's no fear in love. It may look loving. The outward actions, behaviors may seem loving. They may be even standing up for another. They may be advocating for those who don't have a voice. And is it good and is it right and appropriate? Yes, but is it loving? And I think that's the question because at the heart, the love is, love is a matter of the heart. And so this needs, we need to look further in. And I think this is part of why we are so divided as a nation because there's a lot of activity and action and rhetoric about what is right and what is good, but a lot of it is not loving. As a matter of fact, a lot of it is just steeped in self-interest and self-serving. I mean, think about even your life, if you can. If we look honestly at why we do what we do, why we act even lovingly in the situations that we act? Why is that? Is it out of our desire simply to love and care for another? Or is it that we're trying, and I think this for many of us is true, trying, we're trying to be accepted. We're trying to be right. We're trying to be good enough. We're trying to stay in power or control over the things in our lives that we want. We want to fit in. We don't want to miss out. We're trying not to be canceled. We're trying to protect and preserve those priorities and those values that we find so important that are constantly being threatened and we're afraid of losing those very things. And so we stand up and we act and we move and we do these things. But are we loving? No, I think we're, we're motivated by fear. And there is no fear in love. Because it's not actually about seeking the greatest good of the other and for the other. It's about seeking the greatest good for me through the other. And that's not loving. And the reality is, is if we're living this way, then we're going to always be living in fear. Because if we're living afraid of those things that we're, we're, we could lose, and our, our life is oriented around trying to preserve those, trying to hold on to those, trying to grab those, we may get them for a moment, but they're always going to be fleeting. 
And so we might be right for a moment, and we might be accepted for a moment, and we might fit in, and we might not be missing out, and we might hold on to it for a moment, but then it's going to go away. And so then that's when the fear rises up in us again, and we got to go try to find it again. And it's a cycle of fear in our lives over and over. And the other reality is that often the, the loving activity that we see in the world the, that seems to be loving from the outside, man, it breeds an incredible amount of self-righteousness, doesn't it? I actually think this is part of, and maybe even the heart of the cancel culture that we find ourselves living in right now. That we're willing as a people just to shut down one another. Just to cancel someone for their past or their current failings and just reject them, shut them out, turn them away because they're right or they're wrong, I'm right. Look, look, I'm loving and look how unloving they are. And in the process, defeating the entire claim to love. Looking down our nose self-righteously at those who are just not as loving as we are. This incredible self-righteousness. And really what's happening is we're demanding from ourselves and from others a, a conformity of behavior to what we're demanding is loving. That's not love. That's continuing to manipulate and use fear to try to change one another. And if God had approached us this way, wouldn't we really all be permanently canceled? I mean, but God doesn't. And God didn't approach us this way. Which is exactly why John can point to and say that the source, the origin of real and true love comes from God himself and the motivation for ongoing real love comes from the experience of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that's found in God. Twice actually in the passage he says, God is love. There was a, a friend of mine I heard talking on this passage, and he, was re he referred to his days growing up in math class where he was learning word problems. And I know I've already lost some of you because you're like, word problems? I'm out. I did not come for that this morning. Stick with me. It'll be real short. But any time in a word problem that you hear the word is, you can put equals. And so if we think about this, if God is love, then God equals love. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, Spirit is love. At the very core, the essence of the character of God, his very nature is love. Not just, he, he doesn't just do loving things, kind of like we are prone to do. He is love so that everything he does, every act, has his unique stamp of love on it. And it's not the kind of love like our love, which is a fickle love which is often so tied to our, our feelings of warmth and affection and tenderness toward another, which come and they go. God's is a deeper, a more profound commitment of love. A commitment actually in this, his perfect love, a commitment to our greatest good. Because that's what love is all about, the, seeking the greatest good for another. But it's not just about seeking our good. He does it by loving us in the fullness of grace and truth. The love of God is absolutely complete in grace. Meaning there is a warmth, there is a tenderness, there is an affection, there is an acceptance, there is a forgiveness available for each and every one of us. But right with that is, the, is truth. Because God's not going to let us settle for anything less than the best life that he made us for. He's not going to allow us or enable us 
to live lives uh, and have patterns of behavior that are destructive to ourselves or others. When he made us for something great and we're settling for something less, he's going to correct us. He's going to discipline us like a good and loving parent disciplines a child because they have a perspective and knows what's best for them. God is going to do the same thing for us. His love is complete and robust in grace and truth, in mercy and in justice. It's a profound and it's a deep and it's a perfect love committed for our greatest good. And it was demonstrated. John says it was demonstrated in verse 10. He said, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. That Jesus died on a cross as a sacrifice for us in that he demonstrated the nature of what does real profound love look like? It looks like self-sacrifice, not self-righteousness. It looks like self-giving, not self-seeking. And so God is the source of love, the origin of love. He also gives the demonstration of what does real love look like. And the result of love that we're expecting to see, that John is expecting to see in the life of the church and in us, is he's expecting to see lives that are overflowing with love. He says it this way, that if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And there's, there's something of a mystery here. Something that, that somehow the love of God is made complete in us. And that doesn't mean that God's love is deficient or somehow lacking apart from us. As a matter of fact, that's God's love, his very nature of love is why he made us in the first place. Because love is self-giving, as we've seen it. And so by its nature needs an object to give him, you know, himself to. So God, being love, created you and I so that he could give himself to us so that he could give us his love, but not just for us, not just as something to be possessed and held onto and, and enjoyed for ourselves. It was intended to also overflow us, flow through us to one another. That's why John over and over said, over and over in this passage says, love one another. Because God, who is love, gives us his spirit, and so love fills us to overflowing so that we can love others, because we need an object of love as well. And so we love God. We love our neighbors. There's a theologian that talks about and describes this as a divine love triangle. But he says this. He says, the energy of love discharges along lines which form a triangle whose points are God, self, and neighbor. The love of God flowing into you, but not just for you, flowing through you so that you can love your neighbor well. Your neighbor experiencing that love is going to turn and love God because of it and also love you back. And God's love will flow into your neighbor and then will flow to you. It's this beautiful triangle of love. And that's what God is intending for each and every one of us that his love will be complete. It will be shared completely through our relationships. But here's the thing. It's not just through those who are easy to love. I got a cartoon in an email from somebody this week, and it was just too perfect to not share with you today. And so here it is. If you can't really read it, that's fine. But you can imagine that this guy standing up on this rock is John talking to his church from this letter. And he says, be kind to everyone. In other words, love one another. And somebody from the back says, well, hold on. Wait, even Gary? Somebody else speaks up. Yeah, Gary's the worst. And so you can imagine John going, look, we've been through this. Yes, be kind to even Gary. And then Gary from the back says, ha, suck it, losers. <laughs> and you can imagine John just going, not now, Gary. <laughs> not now. Yes, even Gary. Or in the current kind of internet parlance, even Karens in your life. 
Because that's the love of God for us, that while we were enemies of God, he sent his son to reconcile us to him. That's what real love looks like. Jesus says the same for us then. He says this in Luke 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. I mean, this, this flow of God's love, if we really want to live free from fear, we live in the fullness of this love that even loves our enemies, loves those who you disagree with, loves those of a different political persuasion, loves those of a different class, of a different race, of a different orientation, loves those who make you angry, loves those who try to manipulate you, love those who misrepresent you all over the internet, loves those people in your life who are hard to love and truly seek their greatest good, self-sacrificially. And when we get honest and we start thinking about that, do we really love like that? Maybe not. But John's very clear, there is no fear in love. And so if we don't really love like that, then we probably are still living in the reality of fear. And if we're living in the reality of fear, then we're not living in the fullness of the reality of God's love. And so John said it, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What John is getting at, he's talking about what happens to us when we die. And he's talking about that because this is the greatest of all fears. The great fear of all humanity is what's going to happen when we die because it's the great uncertainty, it's the great unknown. Even if you don't believe in God, there is a great leveling that happens when we die because none of us is exactly sure. And it leaves lots of questions. Is there nothing? Is there something? Is there a God? If there's a God who loves us and made us to love the way that he loved, is he going to actually hold us accountable for the ways that we haven't loved? Is there really going to be a judgment? If so, will I be able to stand under it? Do I love selflessly, sacrificially? Or do I live in fear? And see, John is focused on the judgment that comes with death because it is the great fear that all of, if this fear can be conquered, all of the other fears in our lives can be conquered because all of the other fears that we live with day in and day out actually come from this, this core fear. Think about it. Your fear of rejection comes from a, a deep fear that we are going to be rejected and alone forever, for an eternity. Think about our fear of, of being a failure, of not measuring up, of being found out, of being worthless, that we could have that be the eternal reality that we, we don't measure up, and so we'll be cast aside? What about the fear of losing control, of being out of control? Death is the ultimate loss of control. All of our fears point us back to this. The fear of death and judgment overshadow all of these fears, and if that fear can be conquered, then all of the other fears that we live with day in and day out can also be conquered. And John is telling us that is conquered in the reality of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we don't have to fear that judgment because Jesus, we're told, stepped in as the atoning sacrifice. In other words, when he died on the cross on that first Good Friday, it was good only for us. It was brutal for him. He took on the reality of our sin, of our failure, of our fear. He took it all on his body and in his soul, and he was crucified on, on that cross. So that on the day of our judgment, we could stand with confidence before God, knowing that our sin, our failure, and our fear was already dealt with. 
God didn't just pretend it didn't exist and ignore it. He dealt with it through his own son. And so we could have confidence, but we can also have even greater confidence because on, on that day of judgment, we can live in the reality that Jesus also rose from the dead. If he's still dead, then we're dead. But if he is risen, if he is alive, then his life is available to us even here, even now. The world motivates by fear. Fear of being canceled. Fear of being punished. Fear of not being enough. And the reality is these fears, through those fears, we're humbled. And so we might be humbled to the point where we do loving things, but we're also crushed. We're crushed into a conformity of behavior, or we are pressed to fight. And we're going to fight against all of those things and all of those people who bring that fear in us. But the gospel doesn't motivate that way. Real love doesn't come from there. See, yes, the gospel humbles us. We're humbled before God because we take seriously, we recognize our, our failure to love the way God has loved. We recognize our fear. We're honest about it. But it doesn't crush us because we don't have to fear the judgment that comes at death because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. We can have confidence that we can live in the resurrection power of Jesus. That is the Easter message that we live in the resurrection hope. And it frees us from that great fear. It frees us from being consumed by all of the other little fears every step of the way. We can live free from those fears so that we can be free to truly love one another. Perfect love, the love of God, drives out fear so that you can truly live and that you can truly love one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for that hope and reality that we have, that though we fail, though we still have fear that lives within us, that your perfect love drives out fear. Help us to live in you. Help us to experience the profound reality of your love for us. Your son is our atoning sacrifice and your power to live free, your power to live and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.